Is is that is amniotic fluid actually slippery? Uh I don't know. It's like a it's like the uh it's like the medical banana. <laughs> I mean what? <laughs> You'll slip like a banana peel. Oh. It's no, like that's well, like what are you talking about? That classic that classic Looney Tunes gag in which a character slips on amniotic fluid. <laughs> Listeners, welcome to another episode of A Free Podcast. I'm your co-host, Rob, joined as always by my good friends, Joe and Duff. It's great to be here. Great to be alive. <laughs> yeah, alive or undead or whatever, reanimated, whatever you want to call it. It's all good. Or uh-huh. is it, according to this movie? Well, we are <laughs> We're dedicating this to dads everywhere. <laughs> we are here continuing our season on, I forgot we named it, Monster Mash? Monst- Monster Rehash? Monster Rehash. Monster Rehash. A Graveyard uh- Smash. Uh, we are talking about Mary Shelley's Frankenstein from 1994, uh, which we have a lot of, we realized like the, a lot of the movies we're talking about this season are 1994 and this is yet another one of those. Um, okay, guys. Everyone was riding that Bram Stoker Dracula craze. Yes. Which we'll get into because this movie Ev- does not exist without that. Everyone sure. saw that and they... All the prestige directors signed on to stuff, and they all came out in 1994. Um, so, I, you know, I think it seems silly to talk about the plot of Frankenstein, but I think I have to, right? Well, I think most a lot of people might not be familiar with the, the book structure. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I, I think most people just know the basic, the reanimation part. Yeah, okay. All right. So uh, this movie is much like the book and we'll get to the, the differences and stuff later, but it's framed around uh, this captain who finds Victor Frankenstein in 1994, not 1994. That's when the movie came out. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would very much like to see that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> 1794. And he starts telling the story of his, of, of this movie, essentially. Uh, Victor, uh, had what you really need to know about his childhood is uh there was death in the family and they adopted a sister uh and and he ends up (laughs) (laughs) he becomes a sister wife eventually (laughs) yeah (laughs) and uh off they go he goes to medical school he's very smart he's he's very like he likes to like craft little items and little scientific projects and all sorts of things and he decides uh what if i reanimated a body (laughs) Uh, and so he takes pieces and parts of different dead bodies because there's a cholera outbreak that's happened, and um, convenient. Yeah, <laughs> and he takes the parts uh, and he he puts it together into a body, and then this creature, uh, played by Robert De Niro, comes alive. He's like, oh no, <laughs> I he think Im- this Im- was a bad idea. Immediately regret this decision. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't think through the follow through, and what do you happen once you created this creature? But, I mean. I- Yes, All right, Joe. sorry, no. I, I'm gonna. Okay. I don't want to get upset yet. Okay, so he's he uh, he regrets it. The creature just takes off, uh, goes and hangs out in like a chicken coop next to a cottage, <laughs> and uh, kind of you know he's he's very smart because he's made of a lot of good parts, including a good brain. Materials. 
materials. And uh, I actually, we'll get to this, but I actually kind of like a lot of this stuff here where he's like in a cottage next he's, to... He's learning life lessons. Yeah. That's the best yeah. part of the book too, actually. Yeah, I would agree. Um, so Victor thinks the creature's dead, of course. Um, he's like, oh, got that off. I don't have to worry about that creature. Probably died from cholera or whatever. Where's goes, my sister wife? Goes back to his house to marry his his home to marry his sister. Um, but more death occurs. His younger brother has been murdered. They think, uh, they think it was a servant from the household. So they, she gets lynched, but it was actually the creature who killed the kid. And then, and then, uh, not frame up. plant. Yeah. Framed him, planted is, the evidence. Is it one of the most brutal hangings in cinema history? I mean, it, it's a long ways down. <laughs> It's a long ways out. Um, okay, so um, Victor's pretty mad about all this because um, he realizes it's the creature who did it. And then uh, he meets up with the creature. My missing parts here, he meets up with the creature on the mountains and in the cave. And then essentially the creature was like, you need to build build me a woman. Yeah. And uh, Victor's like... Fair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so Victor's like, uh, I don't know, and he decides not to do it. And then Creature's like, I'm going to get you back, man. You I'll know, see, I'll see you on your wedding night. See you on your wedding night. And then what happens is on his wedding night, he's with his sister bride, and the, the Creature shows up, <laughs> and uh, and then they fight over Elizabeth. Mortal Kombat! <laughs> Yeah, you don't don't forget to mention the finishing move where he le- literally reaches into her chest and pulls her heart out. That part's awesome. Uh-huh. Fla- flawless victory right there. <laughs> so then the creature decides to turn her use her materials to create a uh, uh, like a you know a, a mate for him. She comes up and realizes what she is. She sets herself on fire. The mansion burns Another down. Another brutal death scene in a yes. movie with no shortage of them. Uh, and then we go back at the end here, and uh, Victor has died in the Arctic, and uh, the creature has showed up, and the creature's there, and he feels bad about all the things that he did, and then the creature just sort of, like, jumps in the water, and the boat sails <laughs> off. A, a what a summary. This <laughs> might be your finest work yet. The, and the creature gives him a Viking funeral slash suicide. A lot of this is based off the book until it very much is not. Yeah. yeah. And oddly, like, out of all that wackiness, really the only part that's not in the book, which is a very crucial part of this movie, uh, is in the book, uh, the, among some differences, the creature asks him to build him uh, a mate I think he called he says a mate a female companion mm-hmm. and Frankenstein's like no absolutely not which you know is the right call you've already learned your lesson yeah. the first one so but in this movie uh, things <laughs> this movie goes off the rails at the end just <laughs> like <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm getting ahead of myself well but, he yeah, I mean, I guess the key difference is he never re- like he never tries to reanimate his dead wife in the book, if I'm not mistaken. No, no. I haven't read it in no he does fifteen years. Or I read it. I read in high school. I read it very recently. He does not. He and that's so. It and it, okay. So we gotta we have to decide what we want to do here. And I'm sure I'm do. Perf- perfectly willing to do and do this, but 
this movie is brain dead (laughs) and and it upsets me not that i expect movies to be faithful to the book like i I don't want movies to be faithful to the book because it's a different thing right Mm -hmm. so i'm totally fine with changing stuff what's too just a shame is just how breathtakingly stupid this movie is and the book i i find deeply intelligent and incredibly moving I really like the book. Now, I read it in, like, freshman year in high school, so, like, a very, very long time ago. And after rewatching the movie, it did make me think, like, God, I should rewatch the book, reread the book, because uh, this sucks. But I, <laughs> uh, the book the book is great. It's an easy read. Yeah. Uh, and in a lot of ways, this is faithful to the book. Um, there are some very big exceptions, but the book is actually not that scary or big on horror like there's absolutely nothing in the book describing making the creature it's just like it's just like oh he collected some body parts and he had to work and then he made a creature mm-hmm. and it, it's almost more of like a science fiction book than a horror book it's, in, in many it's ways. for sure yeah it's and i mean it's a greek tragedy it's uh it's a melodrama it's kind of a romance except it ends in tragedy and like i I was kind. I knew that the the. I think what most people are basing Frankenstein on is the the first Universal monster, Frankenstein, by James Whale, starring Karloff. And I just didn't realize how much of the Frankenstein, like oh, the lab and the body parts and the look, like how much of it came from that, because none of it is in the book. Yeah, and the thing I think, I, and I'm. You know, I, I guess I didn't dig into the details on this, but, like, I think what's also fascinating about the book is how it was written. Yeah, the structure like, is pretty cool. The structure is cool, but even, like, the backstory on it where, like, Mary Shelley, who was, like, I mean, she was super young, right? Like, wasn't she, like... She was 18, I think. 18, yeah, and she, like, went to, like, a summer, like, went to, like, the summer home with, like, like uh, I think her fiancé and another dude, and then they, like, were, like, what's who can write the best story? <laughs> It, and she writes this. It was like a nerd science fiction camp contest. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, who can write the scariest ghost story? And she, like, writes this incredible book. Um, um, the other the other big thing that we've already touched on in how the book is different is that in the book, I mean, even after Frankenstein creates the monster, he's pretty horrified, and that doesn't change. And you feel... I mean, the great thing about the book is you end up feeling really bad for both of them because Frankenstein, like he spends his whole time like, no, I've done such awful things and I've realized the horror of my ways and no, I won't build you a a mate. I absolutely can't. And the movie, he's just kind of this like macho lunkhead, like, yeah, whatever. Ah." (laughs) He treats everybody like garbage in the the movie. And he's absolutely unsympathetic in in every conceivable way he's like a high school jock who would give you a wedgie except he creates life from spare body parts yeah he's he he sucks um can we maybe we should dive into some of the like we mentioned at the beginning that this all existed because of Bram Stoker's Dracula which we talked about last week um but like this is and correct me if I'm wrong like this was going to be a Francis Ford Coppola movie at first He's would have been producer. a lot better with him. Well, yeah, well, we'll get there. Yeah, it would have. Um, but yeah. then he ended up just producing it. Yeah. Um, I have read that he's since regretted that decision. <laughs> so what did he really? do? Really? What did he say? I, I, I forgot to 
I didn't really dig into his angle on this very much. Uh, I, I, all I just saw was that he later regretted this decision after several disagreements with Kenneth Kenneth Branagh, and he also, um, he on a rough cut of it, he insisted on, and I would agree with this, cutting the first half hour of the movie, and Branagh refused, and then Coppola <laughs> just later publicly denounced the movie. Okay, that was the, this <laughs> took was, his ball and went home. Well, he's right, and. This is one of the things I wanted to make fun of. So one of my favorite things in films, and sometimes you can look past this, but when an actor's way too old to be playing playing the part, Mm -hmm. Kenneth Branagh, whose ego must be unrivaled. I mean, I've never really thought much of him either way. I have thoughts. Uh, But he absolutely sucks. Uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen some of his other films, and they're largely middling forgettable like that great train or the murder on the orient express remake was deeply unnecessary and incredibly forgettable his entire career is built on the backs of lazy english teachers by just continually (laughs) doing to be just just doing like adaptations of like famous works to be fair and i don't really have a a stake in the the kenny b game here (laughs) (laughs) but uh i I think that he is at his best with Shakespeare and I do, I believe that his Hamlet, which I've, I saw a long time ago, um, is actually regarded as maybe the best Hamlet. Like people say it's either that or the Olivier version. Mm-hmm. So I think when he stays in his lane, cause he's a theater guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, could you tell that watching this movie? Oh <laughs> my God. Yeah. So that's what I was going to mention next is, is yeah, his Shakespeare stuff is fine because you want theater acting from that but that dude cannot act in front of a camera this is a loud shouty movie and everything about it just the music the effects the dialogue it is over the top the score the score is intense at times jaunty and except for for the one scene where there's no score oh my god (laughs) which is maybe maybe one of the best most amazing things i've seen <laughs> yeah yeah it, it is it is i i texted duff while i was watching it and it was like this is like a P- 90s pbs american like a, like a masterpiece theater mm-hmm. but with like like every 15 minutes just like a lot of blood we're like yeah. whoa yeah. there's a hanging every so often <laughs> <laughs> so so kenneth brownell plays at the beginning of this movie when he first appears he's probably supposed to be what 18 and we should be clear he plays victor frankenstein yeah, yeah. so he's it, what 18 17 in the movie it never gets beyond his college age so like 23 at most yeah but, but in the his first appearance he, i think he's meant to be like a teenager and he's yeah. 34 and <laughs> looks every bit of it yeah and it is so funny because like so his style his way of differentiating his age is like later he grows a beard which actually weirdly makes him look younger i think because it covers up his wrinkles and so he just is like well i'll just act more cheerful like i'm in a muppet movie when i'm uh, a 17 year old and then i'll get increasingly sad and dour as i get older it's it's embarrassing one of the worst performances i've ever seen it really becomes glaring later on um uh, in the movie when uh, his mother has another child uh, 
and you think, isn't he going to be like 40 years older than yes. that kid? <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. How old is this woman? <laughs> How many children has she born? But then you remember it's supposed to be like a 15-year-old and his mom got pregnant. It, it, it's just never been more obvious that someone needed people to say no to him than Kenneth Branagh on this movie, both as a director and as an actor. Yeah. He had no business playing this part. It was no. a horrible fit for it. He takes his shirt off whenever he can. And to, to be fair, I would. Well, like. sure. <laughs> that's but but that's why you need people around to say no is to yeah. keep people like us from doing stuff like the that. O- the other thing that's hilarious about it is he's f- always wearing as little clothing as possible in the middle of a cholera epidemic. <laughs> in, in Switzerland in the winter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh and the other thing I'll say that I liked is I think it's hard to tell because the movie is just so poorly made. And I know this isn't going on out on a stretch, but like De Niro's good. Yeah. So in a movie where everyone is, is just gorging on a buffet of scenery and has no idea what they're doing. He delivers, I think all things considered a very subtle yeah. performance. At least he does as the best he can <laughs> given I... the fact that he is surrounded by just mostly no talent hacks. I think he's great in this. It's uh, I think I like the look of the creature. Um, I, sometimes I'd be like, isn't he supposed to be like eight feet tall? But I'll, I'll let that slide. Yeah. And um, they do a pretty good job of like faking it. Yeah. yeah. Looking taller than. He but is. yeah, the everything where there's a scene with De Niro, with De Niro, I think is really well, maybe not always great, but at least very interesting. Um, I thought the scene in the the ice cave, De Niro's great there, mm-hmm. where he's ex, you know explaining his his struggle and his toil and whatnot. And, and when he speaks to the blind father in the cabin in the woods, it, I mean, yep. it, it reminds you, uh, like, and I I think this is unfair, but everyone kind of makes fun of De Niro for barely ever trying for the last twenty to twenty five years or so. And in my opinion, it's like, well, he deserves that. Yeah. Who cares, you know? He's he's having a lark. Yeah, and th- this one, because the movie's so bad, like I, it, it really is another example of how talented he is because he, he it's a very difficult role. And, and I actually, because the the power of this book is from his, inter- Frankenstein's interior life. Yeah, that part in the book when it goes to his, yeah, I agree. And, and, and so that's what makes this such a, a difficult adaptation if you're going to try to be straight up about it because the power of the book is is his thoughts and him learning what it is to be human and him slowly coming to grips with the abandonment of his like quote-unquote father it's it's all very moving but you can't there's really there isn't seem to be a good way to bring that into a film now it seems as though darabont's draft of the script attempted to do that and he claims he did a really good job but they butchered his script frank darabont really well yeah i mean it, it he I, i'm not saying i believe him but i'm i'm I sure him over kenneth brana that's exactly sure. i'm sure it was better than what we saw on the screen here you know and but but it's just it, it is a good reminder of of that even into the 90s uh De Niro still had still had his fastball i think oh yeah i think he's great here and especially if you i don't know if it was the movie he did before this but think of how different De Niro is from from Cape Fear or Casino which is also like around this time like, too. yeah those are 
those those I'm not looking it up right now, but those are within two or three years of one another. Yeah. yeah. Think of how different they are and how the range that dude has. I read that he studied stroke victims to get an idea of how his speech should be when he's starting to learn how to talk. Can you imagine? I would imagine that him and Kenneth Branagh hate each other because De Niro is the definition of method and Kenneth Branagh is old school, big hammy acting. It's like, oh, just shout. Why don't you just talk louder? (laughs) Could you just yell a little more, Bob? Um... (laughs) Yeah. I could keep imagining Branagh behind the camera just saying, can you give us more? And and De Niro just smoldering, (laughs) angry. We'll make sure we share the one scene worth watching on this movie, which is um, we just keep calling the slip and slide scene. Yeah. Why don't you... I think Duff has the poetry to describe it best. Okay. I'm guessing. Duff, can you try to explain the Uh, birthing scene here? So I think everyone is familiar with the the more modern well i guess not not as modern as this but the classic version where there's a bunch of machines and lightning is involved and it reanimates frankenstein that way uh and again to be fair none of this is really in the book beyond he sewed a bunch of parts together yeah there's no eels in the book no (laughs) i forgot about the eels so in the movie and uh if this were executed in a different way it would be great. I think this idea owns. Um, yeah, I do too. Is uh, first of all, he he kind of bribes some people to get buckets of amniotic fluid from, let's say, maternity wards. Which which Branagh decides to just show a woman, just expelling it into a bucket, yeah. and then him like getting the bucket and then like handing him some money. Yeah, like, yeah thanks for the bucket. Thank, thanks, buddy. Thanks for that womb juice. <laughs> womb uh, juice. So, so that's part. There's three parts to this process. Or maybe uh, we'll say two and a half. Uh, so it's the the amniotic fluid, and then a bunch of electric eels, and <laughs> are dropped into the amniotic fluid. And then I don't know if it's just the eels themselves, or if he. It seems like he generates a little more power. Um, so then, and all the time, the creature is in this amniotic fluid. So the way that the creature snaps to and is reanimated is uh, the eels just, like 30 eels just start going to town on De Niro, just zapping him into existence. Like piranhas out of feast, basically. <laughs> um, and so then this works, and he's in this giant glass tank. He Frank Frankenstein, again, did not think any of this through, uh, opens it up and... <laughs> Uh, Fra- Frankenstein, the monster slides onto the floor along with all these eels and fluid. Like it, it's like they're walking on an orgy tarp on Sunday morning. <laughs> oh my god! I was I was gonna go with a more PG themed. Imagine like just coming off of a water slide, like when you finally exit the water slide. Yeah. Into the pool. That's the speed at which De Niro <laughs> slides onto the floor, and and then Frankenstein, of course, he wants to help him up. And there's just, I want to call them Pratt Falls. It's just but, slapstick nonsense as he tries to and, g- grapple with him. And it, like, goes on. Two things happen. One, <laughs> the score, which is absurd and over the top the cuts entire time. Out. Cuts out. The camera, which in the movie is spinning in a circle the whole time, like, stays still. And we just watch 
like for about 15 seconds as like an more, eight foot more than that yeah like 30 seconds as like an eight foot creature <laughs> is trying to get helped up by frankenstein and they keep falling and, and the they're whole time, sliding like, around this? on the floor and <laughs> and the only the only foley i believe is just like <laughs> it's just imagine like the sound of jelly being thrown against a wall and that is the only foley in this scene except for maybe like an occasional uh <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like if the fight scene from they live was edited by eisenstein that that's what happens in this sequence just a, a grappling that goes on an uncomfortably long time edited totally incoherently it's with, so weird and, and hilarious and then oh my the, god and the way he finally gets the monster upright is by knocking him by his head onto some piece of machinery and then just hoists him up oh yeah up on the chain i forgot and then he's like oh no what have i done and then he just takes off it's a yeah so it took wrestling around with a grown man who's nude by the way you see some some weird nudity frank okay. and dog let me, let's talk about Frank and Dong. I had a question for you guys. I, we, so love I was, ta- we simply love to talk about Dongs on this show. We do. See, I'm more interested in his like patch on ass. <laughs> it, it, it has like the same ass that the old lady has in the bathtub from The Shining. Yes. So that's the thing is like they talk about materials, right? Like you have to go and get the materials, and they sh- we see him. You know, getting materials, he takes the brain of John Cleese's character and and like the leg of like you know. And part of me is like, did he have like, did he have to go pick out a good a good monster penis? Hmm. Like, did he? Because he had like he makes the choice to create that. Would you put have, that in there? So would you have put a lot of thought into the peanut penis? I mean, I, <laughs> I think he probably just grabbed the first one he found because I yeah. don't know that he wanted it to breed. Yeah, he but, probably he probably just went to that guy that he's getting the amniotic fluid for. He's like, "Look, just give me a dick, any shit." <laughs> does, does I don't care. If you see uh, one more thing, if you see like a penis that's just like laying around that no one needs anymore, just like throw that in the bucket too with the fluid. <laughs> I could use it. And he's like, "What? Just like any? Uh, sir, nope, just any penis that you yeah. see." And uh, oh, a scrot. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> And, like, just, I don't even need a butt. Just pieces of skin. And I'll use that to finish the project. <laughs> I mean, do you, I know he wants. <sighs> it wouldn't, it would be more freaky than funny if they weren't wrestling and falling down. It is, again, it's a pretty good makeup job, just ruined by the most incoherently staged and edited sequence I've seen in a long time. Yeah, it is something else. We will for sure share that scene on uh, Freeloaders because it's what you need to see from this movie. Um, we sort of, we sort of already talked about. I guess we could talk about how it changed, how it's different from the book. We talked a little bit. Joe mentioned, but like, the ending is when it goes way off the rails. That uh, so, <laughs> the Bride of Frankenstein. It's it goes off the rails in two different directions because. When he first asked him in the movie to build him a mate, I thought it was going to be like the book, and he's going to be horrified and say, no, no. Um, and then I thought, okay, well, maybe it's going to be like the movie Bride of Frankenstein, um, which is great. I, that's I, I, the best Frankenstein movie, I think. Um, and in that version, I mean, spoilers for like an 85-year-old movie, sorry. <laughs> um, I think it's okay. Is that... 
the the mate rejects him it's it's just double sadness because like like the undead don't even want him and Mm. and the way that movie ends is the monster basically tells like the humans he's like no go and then he like burns down the castle with him and the bride inside and the final words are we belong dead Ooh. i so it's very like in keeping and it's all about uh it's even more miserable now and a lot of people think that it's uh uh it's coded as uh the monster is gay because james whale was gay and oh. they think that it's a, a very there are lots of readings of this that it's a a very pro sympathetic movie for homosexuals in 1932 or whatever wow i had no idea yeah sorry i spoiled it it's great well hey that's it i'm glad we're talking about an interesting movie yeah. so this movie goes a <laughs> different direction yeah <laughs> um so i, I thought okay maybe they're gonna do the actual old bride of frankenstein ending that'll be cool in this movie uh frankenstein reanimates uh elizabeth for himself but the monster wants her and they literally get into a tug of war with this <laughs> reanimated bride we should mention who plays the uh the bride oh yeah Hel- i don't think we ever did helen yeah. bottom carter, helen bottom who carter. Was, was yeah romantically involved with Yep, old Kenneth Ken. Bond. Old yeah. <laughs> Ken. Uh, so yeah, um, they literally, it's like the Wabbit season, Duck season thing. Like, there's like, no, mine, mine. <laughs> Wabbit season, oh Duck my God. season. Like, it, that's, the, that's the level of subtlety in that, oh, no one's learned anything and what the hell is going on. Yeah. Uh, so that's a major unfortunate change even from the movie Bride of Frankenstein. Um, but then, to be fair, Eliz- the 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 uh, the sister Elizabeth does what we all want to do in the audience. <laughs> yes, she. It, I would say one of the coolest uh, death scenes ever. Actually, like it it's not cool in the movie, but like if it was in a different movie, it would mm-hmm. be pretty sweet. It's a yeah. De- when she was running away, I was like, an alternate title of this movie is "Portrait of a Lady on Fire." <laughs> <laughs> Helena <So>. Bonfire. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that is what's one thing that's really weird is there's all these moments in this movie. Joe mentioned this. He mentioned the hanging. There's like an early scene which has no use, and also another weird change I think. But like when his mom dies, I think in the book she just like dies from like scarlet fever. I think right. I I don't even remember. Like the mom is in the book for so little. Yeah, she's she she dies of illness in the book. Yeah, in this one she's giving birth, and it's just this horrendously bloody sequence of like of this birth, (sighs) and you're like, what is happening? Yeah, Uh, and that that leads me to another amazing thing about this movie that I almost forgot about is isn't that Ian Holm? Yes, Bilbo. Um, and for some reason. Kenneth Branagh decided it's very important that we see Ken, uh, Ian Holm as the doctor come out of the bedroom in just, just his trousers, <laughs> covered in blood, and <laughs> just sit down on the stairs. So, yeah, and that's why I thought was so strange about this is, like, I like, I, in general, the idea of being, like, well, it's a great book. Let's just, let's make it Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Let's, like, let's follow along. And... You know, I get why you want to do that because, like I said, I think Kenneth Branagh has made his entire career on English teachers. Um, but like the changes they make 
are so dumb that it's like why why change this why change the ending you know what i mean like there's like if you would have been like we don't really need the you know the arctic like framing of this fine that's fine you don't need it you can like move on there's other ways you can do it but man what a what a strange strange way to kind of follow the book but then totally not but then totally abandon it for the parts that really count like when they when they when they go off script to say, to use a phrase that's when they show that they didn't understand the book at all like no one in this like i guess frankenstein kind of learned something but like just the fact that both of them are literally fighting over who gets to marry the reanimated woman is yeah but but yeah. he he doesn't really learn anything like he gets his little like ending scene when he dies on the boat but in the book he his point of view on the, on what he had done stays very consistent like he does kind of begin working on his on a partner for his monster yeah, doesn't he go to like south america and do it i thought it was like scotland or ireland or something oh, i, I can't he goes somewhere and doesn't but yeah, yeah. He, uh, he starts but, on it and then he's like oh but then he's he's and, and this that's a really cool thing about the movie or excuse me the book is like he like it has this creepy sense that he's being followed and stuff which is which could have been done really cool in uh, the movie too but they don't and yeah so but he eventually he he starts on the next creation out of self-preservation for himself and his sister wife <laughs> but then but then he's he never wants to do it he only does it because he wants to survive and even then he decides it's not worth it i can't in the movie the, he he never really there's never really any moment where he seems to have learned anything. He just feels sorry for himself a lot. And yeah. uh, then as soon as his wife is killed, then he immediately just goes and does it again. So he, he clearly had had learned nothing. So his kind of ending scene on that boat, he doesn't earn it. He doesn't deserve it. Yeah, I would agree. It, yeah. uh, his character is follows the same uh, logic and quality of script that... Uh, Remember it, way back uh, when we talked about Pet Cemetery? Oh, and, yeah. And how uh, I think his name is Judd. Like, Judd tells this dude about the Pet Cemetery. And then when the dude goes to the Pet Cemetery, like, why'd you do that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it is It is um, too long, didn't watch. It's dumb. It's a dumb movie. <laughs> it's extremely uh, stupid. And it is. Uh, I, I have in my I have in my notes that I'm looking through now, uh, I say there's absolutely no suspense or timing. It's all blunt force trauma. <laughs> it seems like everyone involved in it that is actually smart deeply regrets it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, so the movie not critically successful, more financially successful than I would have guessed, actually. I believe it made a hundred million dollars. <laughs> uh no. Yeah, it did. Domest not domestically, did it? Overall. Well, I mean Oh, I, I suppose because it But was I, a late... either way, that's still like that's how you judged if something was a big hit in those days. Yeah, also you're right. Also yeah, you're right. I didn't realize it was a November release. This uh-huh. is like <laughs> This is Oscar bait. I f- I feel like they thought De Niro was going to get an Oscar nom and and to be fair, maybe he should have. Yeah. You're right, did make a hundred million. Wow. I guarantee I, Kenneth Branagh thought he was gonna win an Oscar too. Yeah. Yeah. I wanna fight him. You know what? I'm glad, Joe, because I 
going in, I sent Duff a message and was like, listen, I hate Kenneth Brown. <laughs> I think I, 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 need- <laughs> I don't disagree with anything you guys have said. I just, I know that his Shakespeare stuff, it's been a long time. I know it's very highly regarded. Listen, I, the last thing I saw that he did was Thor. And uh, uh, there's a lot of Marvel movies I like. Thor, I cannot remember one damn thing. Just the most <laughs> forgettable movie. And, and I think that with the Marvel movies, I I, uh, I don't really know, for better or for worse, how much we can really give to directors for those. Oh, they're, except for maybe Black Panther. They're all just direct directors. Even Black Panther, I've read a lot of stuff about how many different scenes they took away from Coogler. And, and the last thing I want to do is, is take... There's some really talented people that have worked on different Marvel movies, but it seems like as close as we've gotten to like the factory old studio system. Oh yeah. Era of filmmaking that since, you know what the thirties or forties. Yeah. It's uh, the, it's like, all right, John Ford, here's the movie you're making next month. Go do it. I mean, yeah. I've read from, from people that I, you know, film people that I trust that like, the directors don't even have don't even direct the action sequences like they don't even have any control or really that much input into them but i i was unable to find documentation of that when i read that but it's it i totally believe that it's true it certainly seems right the the fight scenes are the worst parts of those movies well the good news is kenneth Branagh has artemis fowl that came out this year which from all from everything i've read is terrible yeah and he's making another uh uh, what is that? Agatha Christie is. Did she write murder that her? Yeah. What Hercule? How do you pronounce? Oh that yeah. Character? Don't ask me, Joe. <laughs> the murder. <laughs> another in that murder in the Orient Express. Which, kind of by the deal. way, do you know who plays that character? He does in the movie. He, yeah. Do you yeah. think he asked to be Thor? <laughs> I guarantee he did. <laughs> I guarantee he did. <laughs> They're like, no. It's like, listen. I'll, I'll let work me be out Thor. for a while. I'm willing to take my shirt off. You're 58. <laughs> uh, um, so, Dove, you mentioned this earlier, and I want to kind of ask Joe this as well. I have a feeling our answers might be the same. What is the best Frankenstein film? You said Bride of Frankenstein, Duff. What do you yeah. think, Joe? I haven't seen very many of them. I mean, I think that the, I think you can make a really strong argument for Young Frankenstein. Yes. Uh, because and and my uh, the reason I say that as an answer is because I don't like this movie in its own blundering stupid way tries to some degree to be faithful to the book, and I think that's exactly the wrong approach. So mm-hmm. um, I think Young Frankenstein takes that core story and idea and pursues it in a purely cinematic way, like like makes it its own thing that actually works for movies uh, as opposed to this film which uh like sort of on a very surface level and a very dumb level tries to be faithful to the plot of the book but realize it seemed they seem to have realized like oh well we can't actually do all the smart stuff and they miss and, the themes and we're, we miss the themes and we're and we're not smart enough to think of different ways to do it than mary shelley did uh anything else you guys you want to talk about about Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, and and it seems like we've done two of these so far, right? We did Bram Stoker's Dracula, which we really liked, um, and I 
I don't think none of us, either of us, thought it would be as this would be as good as that. But it's the same idea, right? Francis Ford Coppola, a couple years later, let's do another. You know. I mean, this this is again, you don't see a prestige director like this doing this before Bram Stoker's Dracula. No, there's no way in like 1991 that Kenneth Branagh got. Well, I know I've done Shakespeare. Now I want to do a horror movie. Yeah, I, and just you know, getting that cast and also like being like let's have a lot of blood let's have a lot of gore you know um it's just weird i'll i'll give a shout out to a different 90s movie that i think explores the similar themes and and... mrs doubtfire (laughs) what (laughs) (laughs) uh I, I would I would like to hear your take on <laughs> the thematic links between Mrs. Doubtfire and Frankenstein. I'll mute my mic and let you talk. <laughs> I, I, I just I just wanted to say Mrs. Doubtfire because it came out in ninety. I mean, they're well. both about fatherhood. <laughs> yeah, um, and about you know uh, giving birth to a new person. <laughs> How? Are, well, okay. A world that won't accept your secret. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> They both involve lots of makeup in production. Yep, yep. Um, what were you going to say, Joe? I was going to give a shout out to a '90s movie that I think it's not telling the exact same story, but like I, I was saying, <laughs> sorry, you can't stop thinking of Mrs. Doubtfire. Can you? I just imagine Mrs. Doubtfire with the two bolts. Like her. <laughs> I just can't stop laughing about the ice. Uh, we okay. <laughs> Um, the I, I think Edward Scissorhands um, is is probably like the best non Frankenstein Frankenstein movie, um, and it only came out a few years before this one. But I think like in terms of a movie that is actually a straight, pretty much a straight drama, to my knowledge, does the best job of exploring this idea of creating life, but not. And, and there's different reasons for it in Edward Scissorhands. His creator dies prematurely in Edward Scissorhands, but but still exploring that idea of what it means to be human and what happens when you don't give this outsider creation all the tools it needs to blend in with the outside world and and about the, the shallowness of, of human beings and, and how they reject things that are ugly and don't look like them. Because anyone who who actually talks to Frankenstein's creature, like the blind man, he's a, Frankenstein's the, just the most wonderful, gentle creature in the world. And if people could just look past how ugly he was, including his creator, really, he would have been fine. I think Edward Scissorhands is a a great parallel to Frankenstein. Yeah. Um, fun fact I read, guys. At one point. I don't know how true this is, but we'll read it anyways. Tim Burton was being courted to direct with Columbia Pictures eyeing Arnold as the creature. Oh, no. Arnold? <laughs> okay. I absolutely love that idea. I, yeah. I love the idea of Tim Burton directing Arnold Schwarzenegger. I, I, I would pay my own money. I will pay for a time machine. We need to get a time machine. Yeah, we're not doing it with either now. That's for sure. <laughs> I'll 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 chip in a hundred bucks for it to happen now, <laughs> but but yeah, it would that, that, to the year nineteen ninety four when Tim Burton was at arguably perhaps the peak of his powers. And, that's and 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 Arnold the peak of his star power. This was both their peak. I was gonna say really yeah. effective. And, and Arnold like has the body for he it. He does have the body. Oh yeah, and yeah. 
Burton, this was right around the time of Ed Wood, which after after which his brain just broke into a zillion yeah, pieces. Yeah, maybe if he does this, his career doesn't turn into what it turned into. Yeah. Mm. Um, on a similar note, uh, do you know who um, has expressed interest and a fondness for this, uh, for Mary Shelley's Frankenstein and making a movie if they ever make movies again, is my man Guillermo. Mm. And can he has said he'd be a good one to do. He it. has said that he has he wants his dream project is to make a trilogy about Frankenstein. A trilogy? Uh, I mean, this is this is literally like he's just said that. I don't know much. He more. says a lot of things. He and, does, and say, I love him. He does say a lot of things. He has like eight hundred things like he's working on at once. But I really hope that one day we get to see Guillermo del Toro's Frankenstein. Other... I, I think he's. I think he's the has the perfect sensibility to tell the story in a yeah. way that's intelligent and cinematic. Well, I want to read this uh, quote he's given, where he's talked about why he loves it so much, and this is really. I mean, obviously, you know, so you're mo- saying he loves the movie or the book? Or, sorry, the book. Okay, uh, okay. But you know, obviously, you can just think about what he's done, and oh, of course, he loves monsters and gothic horror and things like that. But he shows that he really gets it. Um, he said. In reference to it, he says, it's the quintessential teenage book. You don't belong. You are brought to this world by people that don't care for you, and you're thrown into a world of pain and suffering and tears and hunger. It's an amazing book written by a teenage girl. It's mind-blowing. Professor of philosophy Patricia McCormick says the creature, brought to life by Victor Frankenstein, addresses the most fundamental human question. It's the idea of asking your maker what your purpose is. Why are we here? What can we do? And, and Guillermo, I think, make this movie. I, I, I think that there's a really good opportunity, f- and I'm I don't and I'm not Guillermo del Toro is probably not the right person to do this, but I, I think there's also a really good opportunity for like a feminist angle to to adapt this story because mm-hmm. it, I think you could also really look at this as, as about not just I mean man and not as human, but like man men and 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 this this tendency throughout history for men to create life but then have this strange ability to just walk away from it and abandon it which is you know obviously happens all the time and i think that you could tell you could reframe the story from that perspective in an interesting way too well guys when i was a kid i was playing with legos and i built i would build robots with legos all the time and i have this vivid memory of getting I was young, like, I don't know, five to eight, somewhere in there, maybe. Uh, And I remember building these robots with my Legos and then one time getting profoundly sad that I wasn't born a robot. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I remember just being like, why was I not born a robot? And, like, actually feeling, like, real sadness about, like, not having that. I've never really thought more about it since then, but I have this such this, a vivid thought in my this head. This is like that. the end of Step Brothers, where he's talking about how he was going to be a dinosaur, <laughs> and that, and his kids are like, "How how would that even work?" Rob looked at the creations before him and thought, "Why must I feel?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you guys have anything else you want to talk about with Frankenstein? No, this movie's silly. I I, I don't ever want to talk about this movie again. All right, sounds good. Listeners, you don't want to hear us talk about it again, but you're all in for more monster movies from the 90s. I have exciting things to tell you. First off, next week we have a new episode. 
we're staying with 1994. We have Wolf. <laughs> you, you you used the L this time. I know. I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying to like practice for next week. Uh, and then right after this, and it's already been released by the time. The way time works, guys, on the internet is amazing. Um, but we have an episode on our Patreon at uh, patreon.com slash midnightboys where we have our good friend of the show, Claire, on. And we're talking about yet another 1994 monsterish movie, Interview with the Vampire. That's a monsterish. It's a monster well, movie. It's a vampire. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a monster It's movie. a horror movie. Vampires yeah. are monsters. Yeah. yeah. Um, so plenty more where that came from. And then, of course, in two weeks, we have The Mummy. We end up this season. So um, filling your October slash November with 90s monster rehash. You're just walking up to us. We left that bowl of candy out in front of the door, and you're just <laughs> filling your bag with it. Yep. And listen, some are really good. Some of the candies are good. This this is, I don't know, what garbage candy would this movie the, be that you pick up, and you're like, oh, no. This would be a bit of honey. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> and you know what it'd be? It would be a bit of honey that was covered in goo and it slides out of your hand like, I don't, like De Niro on the floor. I don't I don't nec- I don't dislike black licorice. Uh, I I think it's all right, but a lot of people hate it. So I'm going to say it's yeah. more like black licorice cuz bit of honey is sweet. There's nothing sweet about this movie. Yeah. yeah I'm trying to think of what it would be. Um uh nut roll. <laughs> Are you talking about fr- the Frankendong again? <laughs> I, 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 I will not stand for this Pearson's nut roll slander. Pearson. Yeah, made, what's made made in? Uh, all right, I'm going to go on a tangent here. Oh uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm here for this. Pier- Muting my no, it's uh, Pearson's nut roll is a Minnesota company. It's like a mile from my house, which is why, like in Minnesota, you can get a Pearson's nut roll anywhere. But once you step outside the state, if you like. It's like what the hell is a Pearson's nut roll? It's like Grand Belt beer. Like it seems to be fairly ubiquitous up there, and it's impossible for me to find down here in Milwaukee. I'm not that far away, and yeah. I like Grand it's Belt not, beer. It's it's not a very good candy bar. Let's be honest. It's no fine. kid is happy to get the salted no. nut roll. No, I disagree I'm, with Rob on this one. I I think those are. I I wouldn't go out of my way to get one, but if someone handed one to me, I'd be like, mm, yum. I I think they're good, but I do agree with Rob that as a kid, you want chocolate. And you're like, what the hell? It's nuts in a weird form. Yeah, log. Oh. That's that's yeah. a fair point. All right. Well, we've we've covered that, listeners. Uh, we'll be back next week, continuing our monster rehash.